close enough. How y'all doing? Doing good? All right, thank you. Good to see y'all. How's everybody's new year going? All right, so far, right? It's only been a week. If you want to stand up, we'll uh, pray and sing some songs. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. Um, just uh, pray for this new year. Um, coming out of a couple crazy years. Um, some people had rough endings to the last year and finally coming out of things. So we thank you for seeing faces that have been gone a while. We thank you for reports of health. and uh, Just pray for this year, God. Um, Thank you for all the work that's been done in your church the last year. and Just pray that we continue on and push through this year and just let it be a great year for you, God, for your church, for your kingdom, and for all of us spiritually, God. Um, and we grow closer to you, to each other. Um, just uh, we praise you for those who are part of us that keep pushing us forward and keep... Uh, pouring gas on the fire, God. So we just uh, lift up today to you. We sing these songs, God. May this be um, focus on you and praise you with the words. Um, be grateful. Pray for Leonard as he preaches, for clarity of thought, and I pray for us as we hear your word through him. Uh, we have ears to hear what you're speaking to us, God. Uh, and we, we have submission to you to know where we need to change in our lives to move forward. And to be better sons and daughters, um, to ultimately be better at church and better for our community, and just uh, a great sign that points to you, God. So we love you. We're here for you. We give this time to you, and we thank you so much for this body to be a part of. songs be a sign that we are here for you we are here for you let your breath come from heaven and fill our hearts with your life we are here for you. We are here for you. To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. fire fall down. Let's sing that again. To you our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. You alone are holy. Only you are worthy, God. 
Oh, it's so good to see you guys. You miss a week, you miss a lot for sure. 
And I am just always so glad to be uh, with you guys in worship, uh, and I hope you guys online are able to um, uh, find the joy of the Lord today as well. Um, after being gone a week, and I know Brian was, was gone as well, you just come back and you're just, I don't know, there's just something about uh, being in uh, a space where God and God's people gather that is so energizing for your spirit. And I hope you guys find that uh, as, as well. Um, and uh, so as, as we gather, uh, I know that there has been a lot going on in, in different people's lives and things that we need to be praying about. And, and um, I promised uh, somebody, I wouldn't mention the C word, uh, but um, uh, my, my kids got it uh, a couple weeks ago, and I just stayed away because, you know. And I thought, oh, no, not again. I'm, I'm so over this, you know. Can I hear an amen? amen. Uh, matter of fact, let's just, let's just be over in this way by, by looking forward and saying, uh, turn to the person next to you or around you and say, 2022 is going to be a good year. 2022 is going to be a good year. All right. Yeah. And now say it to the person you didn't want to say it to. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So we'll just leave it at that. All right. Well, I, I do want to pray for a couple of things. Um, I, I know that it has been going around, so we'll pray for uh, people in our church that are, are battling with it. Uh, but also I uh, want to pray um, for... Um, uh, Christine Ryder, whose sister passed away this week, and just want to keep uh, Chris lift up, lifted up in our prayers and her family. And uh, if there's any anybody online that has any prayer requests, uh, please just uh, type in or text us uh, however uh, you want to um, share that burden or that praise. Uh, we definitely want to be a part of that. Uh, does anybody have anything on your heart today that you need to uh, keep lifted up? Barb? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, your sister-in-law's mom. Okay. What? What's? Uh, what's her name or her family? Okay. 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 Sure. Be praying for your family then. Okay. Anyone else? Diane. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Hopefully, hopefully Gail's able to see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so if everybody didn't get that, Gail Hill, who we've been praying for as a part of this body, uh, she's had a season of chemo, and she's done. She's got work. She has school. All the things that she was afraid she would lose uh, is such a... Thing worth celebrating for sure. Okay. Any any others? All right. Well, let us know on your connect cards if you like, and if there's anything that you know is on your mind or anything that we can help out with, uh, you can just see those kind of uh, laying over there in the in the um, the the blippity bloop do do doodad thing. That's technically what we call it. Um, so let's go ahead and pray, shall we? Father, we are so grateful to be in a space where we know that you are in our midst. And yet we trust that your promises assure us 
that as we gather, um, not only are you with us, but as we are alone in our homes and away from here, um, and even gathering online, that you are with us as well. And we can be together in spirit in this moment, trusting that even though it is, is, is another day and it is nine o'clock and it is just a normal part of time, that this special time is where you speak to our hearts and our lives and you help us, Lord, with the things that we bring into this space that are a burden, that are, uh, that are, that are weighing heavily, that perhaps our, our mind is just turning over and over, and we pray, Father, that your perfect peace would prevail in our hearts as we just surrender whatever it is that's on our hearts and our minds today to you in prayer. I pray, Father, for families that are grieving, loved ones that have passed on. I just pray that the hope that we have in Christ, that it even transcends the greatest mortal enemy we have, death, would, um, would, would, would just... Uh, obscure even that, that as your hope comes alive in our hearts, we can look forward to things in the future, knowing that it has been such a bumpy time. However, your faithfulness has sustained us as a church and sustained us personally, and for that, we do want to give you praise as we welcome you here in song. We thank you, Father, for being with um, uh, the, the, the concerns that we've mentioned as we've lifted up Gail Hill, and we thank you, Father, for the victories that she's been able to experience and the prospects of moving into her vocation and her calling. Uh, for that, we are so grateful. And I just pray, Father, that as uh, we uh, think about um, the road ahead as a church and our identity in Christ, how we're established in Scripture in ways that define who we are as a people. We pray, Father, that you would help us to walk into that, to embody that for the community around us, for each other, that this weird opportunity becomes a fresh opportunity for you to do a new work in each of our lives and in our church. Uh, so we ask you, Father, that as we gather, that you speak to us, that you help us, that um, you continue to move us forward in who we are in Christ. And I thank you, Father, for giving us your son. As we center our attention around him, help us to pray together the prayer that he first gave the disciples, yet at, through time and space has become our prayer. So let's pray together the Lord's Prayer, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, you probably uh, received whenever you walked in uh, some message notes. Uh, we're going to try to get through that in a way that hopefully will uh, continue us on the journey through the book of Luke. Uh, I'm grateful for Matt last week for showing up uh, kind of last minute. Uh, he gets a phone call, and I'm like, Matt, I don't think I should show up. And Matt, you know, very, uh, uh, just uh, very faithful to the task, uh, responded. I was so grateful uh, for his uh, 
gifting and his uh, service in that way. So following on the heels of chapter 11, we're moving into chapter 12. And as we do, there is something happening in the story here with Jesus that I think will resonate with your life and mine. And it especially resonates with me personally. Uh, because if you've ever gone through the process of naming a baby, uh, you know that it's something that uh, you, you think about because it's going to have consequences. Whatever you name that child, like if you name that child Ichabod and you hadn't read the Bible, I would say you better rethink that because it's not a good name. And as a pastor, one of the occupational hazards for my own children is they're going to get something from the Bible. Just trust me. And uh, so our oldest, we name Mayam, which means heaven, or it can also mean running water, which she'll, she's taken a lot of showers since she's been with us. So, you know, you kind of live up to that. And Christian, I thought about him in terms of Pilgrim's Progress. And then there was our last one, and we are like, what do we do with him? What do we do with his name? Who is this kid that's coming into the world? And we had a Bible study, and there were a couple of girls there, and they said, you should call him Ethan. Uh, from Ethan the Ezraite, Psalm 89, I believe. And, um, and it was a year that we were married. Uh, and um, he uh, also had the, the second name of Stephen, which from Mandy's point of view is the name of her brother. And from my point of view, I'm thinking a Bible name, Stephen. Oh, yeah, Stephen. One of my favorite biblical characters because he had taken everything that Jesus said, hung on every word, and after Jesus died and he rose again and he went on to be with the Father, there was Stephen. And Stephen was saying, I am totally on board with the things of God. I am committed. I am sold out, even, even if it costs me my life. And I'm sure that he rehearsed that in his own mind a time or two. But the, 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 I don't know if you want to call it the sad fact, the tragic fact, or maybe the inspiring fact. Stephen we read about in Acts 6 and 7, and he is so important that Luke takes up a whole chapter to actually describe what he went through, and then part of the chapter prior. And essentially what, the, what he says is there was a guy named Stephen who was so full of the Holy Spirit that he was irresistible. And when people heard him speak, they saw the embodiment of of the things that Jesus said come alive through his personality and through his conviction. And pretty much everything that Jesus want, wants to do with you and I, that is take himself and basically insert into our being that has come alive in us through our personality, through who we are and how we're made, and express himself in a unique way to the lives of people around us. And I don't know how to exactly explain that process other than when we're born again, something happens inside of us that changes us. And that's something Jesus says is his Holy Spirit, which is from him and by design enables you and I to do things like him and even have a heart and a will to want to do things like him. And Stephen is one of those people that we read about that says, I'm, I'm, I'm totally surrendered. And so he goes and he tells people about the good news. But the same old thing that happened to Jesus happened to him. There were religious leaders 
who were caught up in a way of understanding the Bible that really wasn't God's way. Because I, I honestly think you can make the Bible say whatever, whatever you want it to say. You just, you just grab a verse here and grab a verse there. And the religious leaders essentially did that just so that they could confirm in their own mind what they wanted to do or what they thought it looked like to follow God. Being very misguided in that, they really couldn't even comprehend or make sense of what Jesus was doing when he came. And after he did all that he did, died on the cross, rose again, showed himself to so many people, they were still scratching their heads saying, what he did and who he is and what he died for is not in our script religiously. Okay, you follow? They had a set of ideas about what it meant to be a follower of God that had very little to do with the ideas that were alive in the life of Jesus. And when they saw Stephen, who was gaining the same audience, perhaps even larger, of people who were resonating with those teachings, when they saw him doing what Jesus did, they said, we can't believe it. We killed Jesus, and now we got another one. And it was really a threat. And so Stephen is speaking the word of God, and it says he had the face or the demeanor like an angel. Now, we have a Stephen, and sometimes he has a face and demeanor like an angel, but also he's young, immature, um, and so we got a little work to do. But I'd be the first to tell you, God's had a lot of work to do with me, so I'm not going to throw any stones. Sort of an ironic fact, because Stephen was the recipient of stone throwing. Because that was the way to punish people, in their mind, who were deviating from the script. Stephen gave an incredible sermon about the story of God based in Abraham and Moses and all the way down to the time of Jesus. And it was short, much shorter probably than, than my sermon. Um, so, but you got me, you got Leonard, not Stephen, so here you are. And Stephen is, is, is preaching this, and it is just upsetting them, it is galling them, it is convicting them, it is going against everything that they believe. And you really have two choices, don't you? When you hear the word of God, and it starts to convict you, and it starts to affect you, you either say, I need to embrace that, or you say, I can't do that. And that's a decision that all of us have to make, and many of us have made, and we continue to make it, that we're going to follow his way. Now, Stephen, at the end, uh, the community took up stones, and they killed him. And there's a picture from Rembrandt who has so many poignant biblical moments that he's captured um, in his paintings. And, and one of them, what my, my favorite one is the prodigal son, but this, is, this one here ranks up there pretty high. Now, as far as art goes, uh, it may or may not be compelling, but essentially you have this vision of Stephen being stoned by the religious leaders and it's the idea that there are, there are angels around and there is divine light shining down on him. 
And it captures what we read uh, at the end of the telling of the story of Stephen in Acts 7, uh, verses 53 to 55. We'll just look at that real quickly. Because essentially the story concludes with these words. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And I don't know if these other people saw that or not. But clearly what was happening in heaven was reflecting or mirroring uh, in response, the events that were happening here on earth. I said 53 to 55, I meant 55 and 56. Uh, but essentially, Luke just summarizes by saying that God showed up in a glorious way. Now, I don't really want my son Stephen to experience that, but I do want him to capture that same spirit of conviction. Uh, he, he judges... Um, debate on the weekends, and he was told yesterday that he was the second coming of Jesus. Now, I don't know what that meant. could be that he just kind of looks like what we would imagine him to be, uh, but I tried to give him a little bit of a, of, a, of a benefit of the doubt. We'll see. Um, and then he says, yeah, they tell me I'm the religious one, and uh, so I, I'm hoping that something is taking hold there with that kid uh, because names have a de determinative way. Partly, if you've ever named your children, maybe you're thinking, I really didn't like the name that I was given. I'm going to try to give them a cool name. I mean, my sister named me Leonard, and I, I'm like, I don't like that name. I don't like that name. But I've learned to embrace it when I learned what it said. It said, you know, Leonard means Lionheart. And I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I can live up to that or not, but I'll try. Hopefully nobody will attack me. Uh, but there is something about um, who we are as we embody the presence of Jesus that takes any of our names and gives it almost a kind of glory. Not in the sense that it's showy, showy-offy, but in the sense that there is something about your life that takes on a characteristic that when people see you, they see Jesus. Now, this story here, if I could just say, if this were a movie, I would say this, is some, this has a little... Uh, uh, little underline saying, sometime in the not-too-distant future. But if you go back to the moment of the telling of an event that will actually lead to this event happening, you see it show up in Luke chapter 11. And it's when the Pharisees and the religious teachers are inviting Jesus in for dinner. Only it's a dinner with knives, not the real knives, but the knives of words. And right out of the gate, last week uh, in that story, and I'm just going to summarize it, Jesus is invited in. He doesn't wash himself like he's supposed to, but he does that on purpose because he knows this is going to be a fight. And he knows that they have him there so they can eat him alive. Have you ever been invited into something and, and it's because some people are mad at you? And they just, it is knives out for sure. He sees that. He feels it. It's palpable. And immediately they're like, why didn't you wash? He's like, well, I'm glad you asked. And immediately he says, you guys are clean on the outside, but you are not right on the inside. 
And not everybody sees it, but I do. And I'm calling you out. So he starts naming them and calls them out. And then he gets to the lawyers, which are kind of an elevated stat class above the Pharisees that he just mentioned. And he tells them, you guys, you take the law and you tell people what it says and you think you got the key to life. And this is kind of how he ends it in Acts chapter 11. I'll, I'll put up uh, those verses if we can. Um, he, he says to the, to, the, uh, to the lawyers or the scribes, if you want to call it, no one, uh, the, next, uh, the, ne- the other one, um, you guys will get that one in a minute, but um, uh, let's, let's find the other one from 11 if you got it. It's, yeah, there we go. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. That is, you think you have the thing that says, this is the way. And yet, uh, you did not enter yourselves, meaning that you have no idea what that key is, and you're not even going in the door. You're not even at the right door. And you, um, you have kept those who are trying to enter from entering, and that is why God sent me here. And as he's telling them that, this is where it escalates, where murder starts to become the topic in the thought bubble over the heads of the people at this, at this meal. And as he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him and to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. If you ever been in a, in a, in a space where there is hostility, I don't know if you've ever been there where you walk into a room and you're like, oh, maybe I should leave. And no one said a word, but you can just see it and you can feel it. It's palpable. This is essentially where we pick up in our text today. So with the, the Lord's help, I'm hoping I can, I can bring this drama to bear upon your life in a way that leads to a kind of commitment that we see in the life of Stephen. There are some things going on here. So let's just pick it up in Luke chapter 12, verse 1 and following. So it says, in the meantime, Luke says in the meantime, meaning that right now or, um, you know, back in the Westerns, meanwhile, back at the ranch, um, it's sort of like simultaneously uh, when so many thousands of people were resonating with the things that Jesus said, and they were like, this is fresh. This actually speaks to life. Those guys have, sh- have put the bar so high that we're, <laughs> we're demoralized to even try to get close to God. And they're trampling one another like a rock concert. And he began to say to his disciples, so you guys are the crowd, okay, so pretend you're the crowd. And then the disciples are over here. And he starts, so he kind of turns to them, and these guys are all hanging around, and he starts talking to them. Do any, does anybody here like to be preached to, except, you know, when I'm preaching to you? I would say the answer is probably not, right? Especially by somebody that, um, well, you're not sure about. But have you ever, so you kind of tune, tune, tune people in, you tune them out. But have you ever been, like, at, I don't know, Bob Evans is a good place to be. Like, I've been to Bob Evans a number of times talking to people. I can tell that people are sort of like listening to the conversation, like it's entertainment or something. And I'm like, do I do that? 
And I think we all kind of overhear things, don't we? And I think his intent is he wants them to kind of overhear that if you're going to follow me, you better count the cost. Because it may really cost you. And I don't know about you, but it, 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 following Jesus means that you give up nothing and everything at the same time. It's not like you give him this and he gives you that. He's just saying, I'm giving you grace to be part of my kingdom and my family, and it doesn't cost you anything. But on the other hand, he says, I expect everything, which is a way of saying, I expect you to prioritize me first above everything else that is important in your life, that you, that you fixate on, that you concentrate on, that you value, that you put me first, and then it all kind of starts to work out. And so he's telling his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing that's covered up that will not be revealed or hidden um, that will not come to light or be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you whisper in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Now, what is he talking about? Is it like, oh, you know what? I think I said a swear three weeks ago when something happened, and I feel very bad about it. Or, man, I had a thought about something, and it wasn't nice. The guy cut me off in the road. No, that's not what we're talking about here. What he's saying is those guys are trying to shut down the message of the kingdom of God because they don't agree with it. And as they're shutting it down, I want them, I want to serve notice that it's not going to happen, that it's going to be declared from the housetop that, that, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of Man, that I am the Son of God, that everything that God intended for God's people to cling to and take part in is embodied in me. And that's going to, that, that's, no one is going to shut that down. And, you know, I thought about what we've been through the last couple of years and when the elders decided that we would stop worshiping. I got to tell you, it, it, it was like a big punch in the gut. And then showing up in the parlor talking to you guys through my computer and thinking, this is Easter. This is church. And I, I just, I would go home depressed because I'm like, Something is shutting down God's church. But I was pleasantly surprised to see how many people who didn't like technology tuned into technology. I was pleasantly surprised to see how many people said, I still want to engage. I still want to be a part of the church. And I was very encouraged to see that you couldn't shut down the things of God. Now, God's been doing a lot of stuff in your heart and mind, turning to the surface the things that perhaps we need to deal with our own hypocrisies, and he's been saying, I'm using this moment to clean my house and maybe clean the world and just show the craziness that is inside of all of us and then to bring it back into order. And he started with these guys. And he says, I tell you, my friends, and I love that language. It's, it's the language of valuing somebody so much 
that you hear what they say, you feel what they feel, and you're deeply concerned about what they're deeply concerned about. And you watch out for those people. When he uses that word, it has all of those connotations. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body. That is, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to, because this is about drawing lines on which side you're going to take part in. Don't worry about those guys. They'll threaten you. They will find ways to shame you. They will throw things at you saying that you are not right with God for these reasons. And in some cases, if you go against them, they will kill you. And I anticipate that all of those things are going to happen to anybody that follows me. But he says, um, don't fear those guys because that's about all that they can do. But he goes on to say, I tell you, fear the one who not only can kill the body, but can cast your soul into Gehenna. So move on to the next verses. Um, he says, yes, I tell you, fear him. But basically he's saying that, he's not saying you can either be afraid of that guy or you can be afraid of that guy. No, he's saying you can be afraid of that guy or those people because they can do something that can destroy you and perhaps even your family and everything that you hold dear. Don't be afraid of them. And him, that same attitude that you have towards those people that are intimidating you, well, God does have the sovereign power to be able to do things that not only affect our mortality, but also our destiny. But the interesting thing is, when you fear him, it's different because his posture towards you is different. Rather than saying, you're not good enough, you better try harder, you better take your moral compass and recalibrate it even more, or you're not going to make it, get right with God, and then God will make you a part of his people or his kingdom, he says, no, this God, he's operating completely different. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And you're like, who cares, honestly? If you guys have birds and you have trash birds that steal all your feed, you're like, just get out of here, guys. We're waiting for the pretty ones, you know, the cardinals and the orioles and all that stuff, not those guys. But yet God says, I care. I care. They're important. And not one of them is forgotten before God. And why even the hairs on your head are numbered. Now, I don't have a lot of hair on my head like I used to. But I couldn't begin to count how many I have. Rachel, how many hairs do you have on your head? Okay, yeah, exactly. Um, why would you bother? You know, it's going to end up in the sweeper anyway. I know that was wrong, but there we go. You can tell what I've been doing. Uh, so God says, I count them. I count them. They're important. And it's all of a sudden that fear turns into kind of a weighty respect. But it also has this sense of he's in, he, he's he wants me to thrive. He wants me to be able to reconnect to who I was made to be in the first place. He wants to bless me, but I know that he has work to do before all of that can get into my life. 
And Jesus is aware that from the teachings that he shares with you and I, the picture of God that was created by the religious people is very different than the picture of God that we see embodied in his life. And I want you to experience that picture either through the telling of the book of Luke for the teachings that are happening afterwards or through just the things that you see happening in the lives of people who say, I'm on board with that. And he says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. All of a sudden, we're fast-forwarding back to that story we opened up with. And here Stephen is, and he knows based on what this teaching has said, that this is not a good moment. But the thin space between heaven and earth is opened up. And the reflection from that thin space of what the posture of heaven is towards this moment of his, of, 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 of basically his destruction. The posture of heaven is You've not denied the Son of Man. And the angels are rejoicing. And you're like, well, how in the world can they be rejoicing when somebody's getting ready to die? That seems a little twisted. Unless there's more to the story that goes beyond this life, which I truly believe. And when the angels of God are postured towards him, it's just an echo back to this moment. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And you can see it. The people that are throwing the stones are totally out of sync with the things of God. And I hope that you and I, as we gather in this room, week in and week out, wrestle with that question as we follow Jesus. Is my life in sync the way it needs to be, Lord? with the things that are important to you. And a lot of this is just bundled into this whole thing. But Jesus goes on to say these words that uh, we'll, uh, we'll close this, this part out with, and, uh, and that's this. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That is, I'll even forgive those Pharisees and those scribes if they start to clue in. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And some of you, are, I know, pastorally think, what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Or what does it mean to commit the unforgivable sin? And I would say that if you have that fear, then you probably don't need to worry. But the blasphemy of the, of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's happened in, in, in a couple of places in Luke. And one of them is the lying spirits were blaspheming the things of God that Jesus was casting out. But in Luke, uh, in, in, the, in Luke uh, I think, 5 or 6, I think it's 6, you have Ananias and Sapphira. And they're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit because they're lying in a way that is, that is, that is uh, very deceitful to the body. But it, is, it, it, it isn't even that. It is the fact that they are, they are part of the body because for reasons that have really not a lot to do with what Jesus did. All right, you capture that? Because we've all done things that haven't been healthy towards the body. 
That's not the point. The point is their whole life was premised on something other than the interest of the church. And it may have been greed, it may have been honor, it may have been social status, it may have been, hey, this is an up-and-coming thing, we want to be a part of it, and they were called out. There's another person that blasphemed against the Holy Spirit as well, and it's because by the assessment that we've heard so far, his view of what it meant to be a follower of God was based on, on a foundation of lies. You know who that was? The Apostle Paul, who even says, I was a blasphemer. But it doesn't mean that he was saying, I'm going around throwing swears out all everywhere. He was saying, I was basing my life on a lie, and then I was saying to people, I'm representing the things of God. Does that make sense? And part of the reason why we preach the word is because we want you to be established in the things of God. We, because our lives, coming into the church, I, I will vouch for this. I had ideas about how you live your life that were not from God. And as time turned out, they were so misguided ideas in their effect on my life and my relationships that I had to abandon them completely. They just did not work. And there's so much that God says that we've taken in from the world around us that has said, this is how you live your life, that are just not healthy or good. Now, there's a lot of stuff out there that is good and healthy and it's kind of neutral, but there are other things that you have to question, is this really healthy? Is this a good thing? Is it good for me? Is it good for the people around me? And what God reveals to us is there are a lot of things that we've got to rewrite and reestablish so that your life is not based on a foundation of lies, but based on a foundation that is from God. You guys remember the space shuttle Challenger exploding? And I remember my friend John Garber's dad worked as a vendor to somebody in the space industry. And they were talking about one of the components that had broken down. It was a gasket that was part of the, uh, the, 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 the rocket failing. And a, a company that had basically created this in a way that as it was em employed, it wouldn't sustain the... Um, Basically, it wouldn't hold up under those kind of conditions. And I remember him telling me that they kind of knew it all along. But there was so much, uh, I guess, that, that was centered on, we got to get this up there so that everybody sees. And we got a deadline, and we, we just, we just got to go with it. But it was a foundation of lies, and in the end, the thing blew up. And it's so tragic because when you base your life on something that is not right, in the end, it'll blow up. You with me? And so, as Jesus is saying these words, and the crowd is there, don't you imagine the temptation was, I'm going to say these words, and crowds of people are going to come, 
And some people are going to fall away, but I'm going to dumb it down just a little bit more so that they won't, that they'll stay. He's like, we've got to establish this right once and for all or not at all. And as you come to Jesus as a, as a person who is seeking and looking and hoping, Jesus makes some pretty strong demands. And as a pastor, I just want to assure you that when he does, as foreign as it sounds, as difficult perhaps as it seems, time has told me that if you go with it, he has your best interest in mind. And you'll come around to seeing things in ways that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I stayed there that long in that lie. I thought it was, I was comfortable there. I liked it. But it was, it was a, it was a bomb getting ready to blow up. And so Jesus ends it, we'll move on to verse 12, and then I just want to look at the takeaways. He says, don't worry about what you should say, the Holy Spirit, he's with you. And I believe that when, G when Stephen was in front of all those people, the reason why the message went the way it did is because the Holy Spirit was prompting it. But there's another reason why, and I think that's why you need to be here. And you need to be in, in places where you're learning about the Word of God. What the Holy Spirit does, it doesn't just dump, He doesn't just dump information saying, okay, now we're going to download this program into your head and you're going to say it. If the information is not there, He can't really work with it. So the more we are established in the Word of God, the more it flows out of our lives and the more people see Jesus because the Word of God is living and active. So what do, I, what do I recommend to you guys? I mean, if I were to say, hey, I know you're new to this and you're trying to follow Jesus, these are the things to watch out for. The first one is Jesus is very upfront. He's very candid when he calls us, reminding us that following him will be difficult at times. I want to tell everybody that I baptize, hell is not happy and it may get rough. But don't lose heart. And don't try to go it alone. We're here for you. Or hopefully here with you, alongside you. But be assured, um, it's, you're not going to come out of that water perfect and sanctified. And you're going to come out of that water a target. Then he says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will face conflict and opposition. Because the world is going this way, and you're going that way. And if you're not experiencing conflict and opposition... I guess the only thing I can say is maybe you're going the wrong way. I'm not trying to, I'm a, I'm a conflict avoidant person. I mean, I don't, I'll do it if, I, if, if, if it's necessary, but I don't go looking for it. But I know it comes because of him. He's not accepted here by everyone. And we won't always be accepted either. The third thing is opposition to your faith will put your allegiance to the test. My friends, even as long as I've been a follower of Jesus, my allegiance is put to the test on a pretty regular basis. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. But I have a covenantal commitment with the Lord that, I, that, that keeps me tied to that agreement. But it's not just, oh, I got to do it. But it's, oh, I got to recapture my presence of mind again by bringing him close again. 
And whatever I truly believe in my heart will come out in the fiery trials of life. Isn't that the truth with COVID? You just have seen a lot of stuff come to the surface that you never saw there. And the most powerful weapon for the people around us is the transparency of what we are understanding about Jesus in our lives. When they see us, they see him. Now, none of us are perfect at it, and I wouldn't expect you to be perfect at it, but I would expect that the more you are with him, the more you're going to see him in your life. I'm not saying you should earn something here. I'm just saying that the more you're with him, the more he's influencing who you are. And for Jesus, hypocrisy is about being religious in the name of God while establishing your life on ideas not sourced in his word. And we all are there. And our lives are a process of establishing our, our lives more and more in the truth of the word of God and less and less in the lies that maybe we've inherited from our family or something. And then I just want you to know these two things. Jesus encourages us not to lose heart as we follow him because God knows. Whatever you are going through, whatever struggle you have, whatever opposition you face, whatever conflict you're having, God knows. He knows it. I would love to tell the person who comes up out of the baptistry when that moment happens, I'm not sure God sees this. <laughs> he does. He does. He's fully aware of the forces at work that challenge your trust. And the second thing that I've, I've kind of gleaned from this text is God helps. And the Holy Spirit being there at work, orchestrating things in a context like the magistrates that Jesus has to stand, or Stephen has to stand before, the Holy Spirit's at work here. But your situation and mine may be different. It may just be a work issue. It may be something to do with your family. It may be something personal. It may be the fact that God is growing you and he's orchestrating that process through what you hear from the voices of people around you that are very germane to what you are thinking about. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God's way of saying, I know. And I hope you do. And if you take this text and you think about where Jesus is going with it, I really think he's landing right here in this moment by asking us, is our life established on the things that we see and the fear and the um, perhaps the uh, the claim that it tries to have on your, your life and mine? Or is our life established on him? Because his, his entire goal isn't to see us die or get stoned or martyred, but rather ultimately find life and life abundantly in the new creation. I mean, this is headed somewhere. And these are sort of the beginning steps that Jesus has to take to sh unfold something very beautiful that the church hangs on to in the form of hope, but also seeing how God's already at work. But what is yet to be revealed is something even beyond 
what our heart or mind can imagine, that God says, this is even better. You wait. And I, I can't wait sometimes. It's like I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm also attached to many things in this world. I just have to be careful that they're the right things that are in concert with that. And maybe you're so attached to something that you can't let go of it to get him. I say let it go. It's not worth it. But he is. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, as we come before your throne, imagining that thin space where heaven and earth sort of collide together, and we imagine your divine counsel surrounding you with all of the angels, and you on your throne, Lord Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. And then we see our lives here in just space and time and through the vi visible. And we recognize that through your word, we access that space where you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us that vision for something that helps us here and now. Whether we're going through a trial or a trauma or a moment where we just need you to be the guide, we know that you are readily available. And you are here to help. Pray, Father, for everyone here who needs your help, myself included, that we would be open to seeing you do that and we'd be willing to ask for you to do so. And if there's a person here who just needs help from one domain, the kingdom of darkness, to the domain of your kingdom, Lord, I pray that not a person leaves this building or online leaves this message without recognizing that that is your call on our lives and moving into it. So may your will be done. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to go ahead and open up your hymns. Heavenly Father, as we open this worship service with the song and we sang, you alone are holy and only you are worthy. Each week as we gather and we worship, we come to your table that you invited, that you prepared. And as we take these emblems, the bread and the cup, your body and blood, and we reflect on your your brutal death. We look past that to, to your life, to your saving of our lives as you forgive our sins. As we take these and we just ask you to, to bless them to our bodies, strengthen us, to keep us strong, keep us in your word, and to keep us focused on you. In your son's name we pray, amen.
It's been nice being with you today. Um, we'll get a couple announcements real quick before we leave. Um, first, Koinonia class, if you're part of that, they're not meeting today. Um, we're going to start meeting again on the 16th. Um, women's night out. Um, everybody's invited. They're doing it on the 19th, 6.30 at Diane, Diane's house. Um, you want to wave so people know? This is Diane. Everybody meet Diane. So if you don't know her, that's who she is. You can ask her, call and tell you, contact the office. Uh, open anybody. Uh, in middle school and high school, student ministry for night, fun bowling on the 16th, meeting here at 6 p.m. Is that basically that all it is, just that simple? Meeting here on that night, 6 p.m., going bowling. And then Mish meeting, if you're part of that committee, um, they're meeting on the 16th. On the parlor, which is the room straight out the back of here. Um, so that's announcements. If you want, we'll uh, sing one more song and leave us out of here. And uh, in a week. But as you go from here, just know that Christ is always with us. He is our, our rock. And um, as long as we keep that song in our hearts, we'll make it through. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness and lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. 
This is my story, and this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. Praise Him through the week. Hope to see you all next week. Be blessed.